Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, um, not just um, about 2 Corinthians, but actually we've talked about the concept of fasting. Um, when we were looking at, as we've been going through 2 Corinthians, the next chapter that we were going to be going into was chapter 10. And as we're going to look at this this morning, you can see it gets into the concept of spiritual warfare. And the we've talked about afflictions throughout the this whole series going through Second Corinthians. And a lot of times we when we focus on afflictions, we focus on the physical afflictions, the mental afflictions, the social afflictions that we have. But the greatest affliction that that really is out there that we 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 do struggle with we may not realize that individually but it's spiritual affliction and that is that there has been this spiritual warfare that's been going on from the beginning from from the beginning and um and that there is this opposition then that that we face and so we'll talk about that again in a moment but as we went into this two weeks ago um we took a what i thought was going to be a hiatus and spending two weeks on fasting, but then I, I shared the fact that really it winds up being an amplification of what we are going to be talking about because we are um, in that time talking about fasting and prayer, this whole concept of um, we do not walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. And so we, as we were looking at spending this past week in prayer and fasting, I spent the last two weeks talking about what fasting is biblically. And we saw that Jesus stated when you fast, that fasting was not something that was um, just for the past, but that Jesus had expectations that his people would fast and that, that when he left, that they would be fasting and that the power of that was involved in that is that Jesus shared in Matthew 17. And you can see that on your screen when he was um, casting out the demon from the, the young boy and his disciples wanted to know why they couldn't do that. He said, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And so prayer and fasting, and we'll talk about the prayer side of it again um, later this morning, but are, are part of the weapons of that warfare. And so um, as Steve shared, I think with Steve um, at the end of our prayer time on Friday, looking forward to what God is, a, is going to do through us as we set ourselves aside um, and a part unto him. And so that's really the, the, the importance. Today, as we move into then this, this portion of scripture in 2 Corinthians 10, we're actually going to take another week um, of um, looking at more of that, and I'll explain that in a moment. But before we get into that, I, I just want to deal with the, the greater context, and that is that you can see Paul begin stating here, since I had Chuck read Ephesians 6, I'm going to go ahead and read this, um, beginning in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 10. And I'm going to actually start to see my title there is verses 3 to 6, but I've added the rest of it in there. I'm going to start reading at verse 10, and you have it on your screen, or verse 1, sorry. Because now I, Paul, myself, am pleading, and that's our word parakaleo that we've talked about since chapter 1, that is coming over and over and over again, to call alongside, to encourage, or to exhort. Now I'm Paul myself am then exhorting with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, 
who am in presence am lonely among you, but being absent am bold towards you. But I beg you, and the word there is to Elmai to, to pray or to plead, um, that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Paul was already experiencing in the infancy of the church, there already was opposition to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That comes as no surprise because, again, that spiritual war has existed from the beginning. And so it's no surprise that Satan and his minions already were then working within individuals to, to combat against what God was doing through the work of Jesus Christ. And that, that work that he did through Jesus Christ, he was going to begin to proclaim through the church, through you and I, at that time through Paul and, and through Peter and, and the others who were being sent out. And so you can see my note on the side. It says, when you begin to share the truth of God's word and seek to live according to its standards, you will find opposition. And so my challenge to you as we go into this section, um, which we're going to look at again a little bit more next week, um, and then we'll have Resurrection Day, and then we'll continue to look at this um, concept in chapter 10 and chapter 11 after the, the Resurrection Day celebration. Um, and that is that if you, if you are not experiencing any opposition in your life, um, then you need to ask yourself whether you're really making a stand for Jesus Christ. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you seeking to really serve him and make him known amongst the people? Um, if you're just camouflaged in your life, that you're looking like the world, um, then I just want to exhort you to remember Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer yourself or present yourself as a living sacrifice to God, which is a reasonable act of worship. And be not conformed to the world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's our calling, to be conformed to the image of Christ, not to the image of the world. And that as we're being conformed to the image of Christ, we're being transformed in the renewing of our mind. We begin to, th to think like Jesus. We have the mind of Christ in us. We begin to live that out in our lives. And as we live it out in our lives, we become... Uh, cities that are set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid. We give glory to the Father. And that's something that Satan just can't, can't deal with. And so he will bring opposition into our lives. And so as we then go into that, what I want to look at today then as an aside as well, but not as a side, but is those weapons of our warfare that Paul says. He says then in dealing with the spiritual opposition that we're going to have, and we'll come back to verse two next week as we then, uh, or actually in a couple of weeks as we go into the end of chapter 10 and into chapter 11 um, and talking about the, the true spiritual opposition that's going on, we'll, we'll come back into those people that he was dealing with. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at that verse, um, the end of verse four and into five, the pulling down of strongholds, casting down the arguments, the bringing every thought into captivity and being ready to punish all disobedience. Those are the things that, I know that a lot of people are looking forward to, and actually my intent was to preach, <clears throat> teach on all this today. Um, but as I, I, I studied and as I put it together, I realized there was no way that I was going to be able to do it. And I, I kind of chuckled that now that we're meeting apart now during this COVID thing, 
that you all are in your house, you could go ahead and go ahead and start making dinner. You could start making lunch. And I could, I could teach for three or four hours. And uh, you guys could just start having your lunch and, and all that kind of stuff. And honestly, I don't see, um, I don't see the whole screen of you all anyway. And so I wouldn't even know what you're doing. Um, I could just keep, I could just keep teaching and, and have a great old time. Um, but I realized that there's just no way I could do all this. And so the Lord just challenged me to, to take another week and let's talk about these weapons of our warfare again. Um, and those weapons that Paul relates to come from Ephesians chapter six. Um, the word weapon there um, in chapter or in verse four, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God could be better translated um, accoutrements. Um, the, the, the idea is that they are the, the, the pieces that go along with the armor and so um, with our warfare. So the things that, that go along with what we do in this spiritual war um, that are mighty in God. And so I think, again, that comes from Ephesians chapter 6, which Chuck just read for us. And so what I want to do um, is to be able to go through each one of those achatumens um, that we see there. And the first and foremost that we see is that we're told to put on the, the belt of truth. Now, before we get into the details of truth of it, I just want to talk about the importance of the belt really briefly. And I got to be brief, even though we're just doing this armor of God, I got to be brief just because of how many pieces there are. Um, but everything, um, it's not necessarily like the, the picture that I put up there of the belt, but clearly in a military perspective, it was the like the web gear concept where everything was tied to the belt, um, tied down into the belt. And if the, the, the belt was loosened, then everything else flipped around and it didn't, it wasn't able to do its job like it was intended to do. And so it is the belt that holds everything together. Well, it's the belt of, of truth. And so the importance of truth is, is paramount. We see that it, it is defining by the desire of God. Now, if you've got the emails from Steve, um, you'll see that in those emails, I had a, um, a listing of all the verses um, that we're going to share. There's tons of verses that are going to go on. And I know that I'm not going to be able to give proper time for everybody to be able to turn to every one of these passages. So hopefully you took the time to print that out. You have it in front of you. Um, if not, maybe you can pull it up as a PDF or whatever. But I'm going to go ahead and, and just read some of these as we go along. Um, to bring them to our mind. And you can, again, they're on the sermon note sheets. Please check me out. Look at them in context. Um, God's desire, I talk about this a lot, um, because this to me is um, so important um, for me as we, we face a lot of doctrinal um, battles um, with what the will of God is. Um, but this word desire is the word kalao, which is can be translated will as well. And it says, um, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires or wills all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's God's desire. God wants every single individual to come to the knowledge of the truth. So you and I have got to be wearing that. I mean, it, it has got to be that thing which is um, crucial to us, and we'll talk about that in a moment, because it's also then the part of the plan of God, where God then brings it into 
uh, gives it to us through his word. So if God's desire is for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, how does he then give them the opportunity to know it? Well, John 17, Jesus says in his high priestly prayer for the disciples, it says um, in his prayer to the Father, he says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And so God has, he desires all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. And so therefore he has given us his word, the scriptures, that we might know the truth. That's the, that's the importance of the word of God. That's why we're told by Paul to Timothy that um, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. That it's God breathed it through the holy prophets, Peter tells us, so that we might have his truth, that we might know what truth is. And God's word then is absolute truth because it is the word of God and God is the source of absolute truth. And so, but we see there the hint of this next statement, and that is that, that God then gives it to us, his, his children, um, in order for us to know it, in order for us to read it, to study it, and then for us to be able to share it with others. And so the guardian of the truth, we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 3, is the church itself, that these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar in the ground of the truth. It's not that the church then comes up with a truth that is apart from God's truth. We are the, the guardian, if you would, the pillar and ground of God's truth, that God has entrusted his word to the church for us to be able to give to those that we come in contact with. Jesus stated in John 8, that he says to those Jews who believed on him, if you are my disciples indeed, um, you, you will abide in my word, and you'll know the truth indeed, and the truth will set you free. And so that, that if we are really his disciples, then we will abide in his word, and we will know the, the truth. And we will become then, as you see on the screen, the dispensers of truth. And so in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, it begins with the fact that God gave specific gifts to the churches, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and that he gave those gifts to the church, not for them to do the work of the ministry, but if you look at the passage, it says that he gave these to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And the, the word that's the second word for there, and that's for the equipping of the saints, should be then into Ace is the, the Greek word ace means into, not for, but into the work of the ministry. And the, the God's gifts to the church, so I as a pastor teacher, God, and I really believe this, that God's purpose for me is to equip the saints in order to do the work of the ministry. And then he goes on talking about what part of that is, but he goes on in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should be no longer, no longer, which means that we had been, 
children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so God's desire then is that he gave the church, who is to be the pillar and ground of the truth, the guardian of the truth, he gave them apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers in order that they might equip the saints so that in the saints do the work of the ministry. And one of that work of the ministry is as well being the guardian of the truth that we no longer would be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, which deceivers are out there seeking to do to deceive the church. We'll talk about that again in a couple of weeks when we get to the end of chapter 10 and chapter 11, because Satan, we're told in the word of God that Satan has his workers that are out there and that the church or at least those who proclaim to be the church can be deceived. We're told by Jesus that as we come into these end times, he says that um, because lawlessness would abound, the love of many would wax cold, and that the, the false prophets and the false messiahs, um, antichrists that will be coming, they'll be able to do such incredible wonders that if it was possible, they would be able to deceive even the very elect. So, I got to move on with this, but importance of truth is really, really critical. That's why then in verse 25, it goes on for each one of us, says, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And so as we come within to the, the body of Christ, um, the challenge for us is that we not just speak truth to the world in love, but we speak truth to one another in love. And sometimes it's really hard. For us to hear the, the truth. We don't like hearing the truth. It kind of goes against the grain of our pride. Um, and so we enjoy truth when we agree with the truth, but when it's something that goes against us, um, that really pricks us. And so I want to challenge you um, in prayer, in praying to, to Christ, that, that you ask him to help you to really become a man or a woman of truth, and that you would be willing to accept truth um, spoken to you, not just spoken by you. After then, the belt of truth, we're told about the, this breastplate of righteousness, which is tied down um, as well. And what we see very cl clearly right off the bat, that in this righteousness, we've, since we've just come through 2 Corinthians chapter 5, about two months ago, a month and a half, two months ago now, that it's not our righteousness. Because as Isaiah said, our righteousness is like a filthy rag. And so Paul talks in Philippians chapter 3 of this pursuit that he has to know Christ, but that pursuit to know Christ is really built upon the fact that he's realized that everything that he's done, all the acts of his own self-righteousness, were worthless. They, he said they accounted with dung. There are things which just the maggots grow on and, and walk on. In order that he might know Christ and be found in him, not having his own righteousness, but that righteousness which comes by faith in Christ. And so our righteousness is totally inadequate. But glory be to God, it's be the, that we have 
the righteousness of Christ that's imputed or given to us. And so we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God, the Father, made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, my sin, your sin, in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so that breastplate of righteousness, it's not my own. If it was my own, then the male that that, that breastplate was being, that was made out of would have holes all through it. And, and the Satan would, would, would have a, a field day with us. But it's the righteousness of Christ. And that breastplate then is that which, which guards our heart and guards all our vital organs. And so if you're standing, trusting, if you're relying today upon your own righteousness, if you think that when you get to the, the great white throne ju judgment of, of God, that you can, you can get to heaven because of you went to church, you read the Bible, your mom and dad went to church, your, your, your grandpappy was a, was a Baptist preacher or whatever, and I'm, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, but you get what I'm saying, that if there's any of these things that you think that you can rely upon, then sadly, you're in for a rude awakening because the Bible says, James chapter 2, verse 10, that even if you keep the whole law and yet you stumble at one point, you are guilty of it all. There is no flesh is going to be justified. No individual is going to be justified in and of their own works. Rather, we're told in Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 20 that only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life who received the free gift of salvation through him are, are going to be entered or be enter in. And so I know when I got saved, um, prior to that, I was challenged about whether I was going to heaven. And I said, of course I am. And when the individual then asked me why, I gave them the full works answer. My dad was the treasurer of the church. I was active in the youth group. You know, I was able to, to be in, uh, as an usher and I, 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 it was all about me. It's not about me now. It's all about Jesus and what he's done for me. And I praise God for that. That leads then into this, the next um, part of the armor of God. And that is the footwear of the gospel, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so the illustration of scriptures that are being referred to here are, are very important. So in Romans chapter 10, we're told, um, it says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. How shall they preach unless they are sent? We'll talk about that in a moment. But how beautiful then are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. And so that illustration comes from the book of Isaiah, where we're told the same things, that how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, just prior to the, the verse we quoted a moment ago, tells us that we are, as we saw again a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, we are the ambassadors of Christ, that we are ambassadors of reconciliation, again, to proclaim 
to teach the world um, the gospel of peace, that God wants to bring, this is his truth that he wants them to know, that God desires reconciliation. He wants there to be a peace between him and them. He is not against people. People say, why is God against us? Why is he doing this to us? God's not doing this to us. We're do, we do this to ourselves. And it's because of our sin that, that this comes upon us, the sin of the world and the sin of the individuals. But rather, God desires there to bring pre, be peace, and he desires for reconciliation. That's the truth that he wants the people to know. And so he then instructs us, that's the second part of that, how beautiful are the, the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And so how should they preach unless they are sent? And so the reality is, Jesus said to his disciples um, in the upper room that evening when he came to him, he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And then in Matthew 28, then, the Great Commission, Jesus says to him, go and teach all nations, make disciples of all nations. And the word go is, a, is an aorist participle, I believe, better translated, because, again, not getting into all the, the concepts of that participle, but um, the action of the participle, actually, if it's an aorist, then that means that the action of the participle actually occurs prior to the action of the leading verb. The leading verb in that Great Commission is make disciples. It's a present tense. The only verb that's in that um, is in that verse is make disciples. And then he gives us three participles to explain how we are to make disciples. We are to go, we are to baptize in the, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then we are to teach them the things that Jesus has taught us. But again, the word go is an aorist participle, not a present participle. And so the point is that Jesus says, having been sent, make disciples. He already sent the disciples. But they decided to go fishing. And so what about us? Jesus, when he came, told Peter, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They were fishers of fish, but Jesus wanted them to become fishers of men. He was sending them forth with the gospel of peace, his truth. The fact is that it's going to be the righteousness of Christ and not our own. But they went fishing instead. Jesus had to call them back to what he had sent them to do. What about you? What about me? Are we honestly going forth with the gospel to tell people about it? Again, nothing. You got to knock on doors with Steve and I um, when we get back to that after this COVID um, thing. But I encourage you that if it's a matter of just um, not having the courage, not feeling like you have the gift of evangelism, this is a great way. To do it. Um, I don't have that courage. I'm a yellow belly chicken liver too, and I don't have the gift of evangelism, and Steve doesn't either. Um, we're both massive introverts, and so, but the reality is that this is something that, that God has called us to do, to go out and let the world know, and um, when we go out, we have to rely upon the Holy Spirit to, to open our mouths that we might have boldness to speak as we ought to speak, to be able to put the words in our mouth, um, to be able to know what to say to the individuals. Um, 
honestly, I mean, I'd love every time we knock on the door or ring the doorbell that nobody comes and all I got to do is leave the pamphlet that's there. But that's not really what I want because I want what God wants. And that is he wants me to go out. He wants me to, to have my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But that means there's preparation as well. That means that I, I put my sandals on and, and I'm going. That means that I'm reading the word, that I'm, I'm studying the word, that I, I can quote bare minimum, bare minimum, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you can quote that verse, you know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know the truth. You know the his desire of reconciliation. It all comes down to that. You're dead. Your sins. You're separated from God, but God has given the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. How exciting! How cool is that? So I want to encourage you, putting on the armor of God, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of gospel peace. That leads then into this shield of of faith. That as we for, start to go out, then and we begin to move forward, we're going to then start seeing opposition. And so as we then start moving on, these next phases of these armament, this achtumment, uh, that they are pieces of our armor that are defensive, but also offensive as well. And so this first one is defensive. It's the shield which we hold up to be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And so the importance here is this first step, and that is, the object of our faith. And I'm not going to read all these Psalms that are here, but I put them up there because um, I, I did a, a search on uh, a shield in, in the scriptures um, to find out, you know, because the shield of faith that we have, we're told that the shield is faith, but I, I can have faith in a gourd. You know, oh, mighty gourd. You know, I can even take a, a pumpkin as my gourd and, and, you know, as they do on Halloween, right? And I can carve all kinds of faces on it. So I, it has a personality and so like that. And I can, I can pray to my great pumpkin like, like it was a, um, Charlie Brown, you know, the, 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 the great pumpkin or whatever. And, and, and sadly, that's what a bunch of these false um, religions have, right? They have their idols and that they've made it with their own hands. But I, I, I mean, I can have faith in this gourd that this gourd, this pumpkin is going to do something for me. But the reality is it's not going to do anything but, but grow old and get mushy. That's all it's going to do. I can have faith in, in, in Buddha, but he's not going to get me to heaven. I can have faith in Muhammad, but he's not going to get me to heaven. It's the object of our faith. And so throughout all these Psalms, um, and even more, we're told that Yahweh himself is our shield. He is the shield who defends us. <clears throat> it's not me being able to put up my, uh, my own faith. Because, again, if it's just my faith, it's, it's, it'll always fall short. It'll, it'll always be imperfect. But it's the faith which God gives me and strengthens me. So Ephesians 2, we read that we're saved, that by grace are we saved through faith. And that not our, of ourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And so that God made a plan 
by his grace, that we should be able to be saved by faith. But then God comes along within that and strengthens us in our faith. And so the importance of that, the significance of our faith, we see in Hebrews chapter 10, where it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so if, you know, I have this basic salvation faith, you know, I get saved, but then also I start looking at myself again, again, that's going back to self-righteousness and everything is all about me again. I start to build my own truth. And that's sadly what many churches have done. They, um, they, they have this initial truth of God's word, but then they build on it. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers. And um, that they, they held up their own traditions and their own teachings above the word of God. And so they were then looking to their own righteousness. And that's the same thing. And so then when they held up their, their shield, if you would, their shield really wasn't God himself. Their shield really wasn't the word of God, but rather it was their own, um, their own truth. It was really their own, um, their own self. And so we have got to be seeking Yahweh passionately, diligently. Um, he then is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so we want him to answer our prayers. And so I've been going through the book of Jeremiah. And it's just, again, for my own quiet time, not because I'm teaching on it. We taught on it over the past couple of years. But I'm at that point, I'm going through my quiet time now. And I'm just, again, thoroughly enjoying it. And sadly, the, there's that one portion where God tells Jeremiah, stop praying for them. I'm not going to hear your prayers anymore. They're, they're, they're done. And God has a point where he tells us in his word at times when he hears our prayers and he doesn't hear our prayers, when he's going to respond to our prayers and he doesn't respond to our prayers. Psalm 37 says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, that's if you delight yourself in the Lord. So if you delight yourself in the Lord, like if you are diligently seeking him and you're hungering, thirsting for him, if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if you're setting your, you're offering your body as a living sacrifice and seeking to be conformed to the image of Christ and not to the image of the world, having your mind transformed by the word of God, and you're going to delight yourself in the Lord. And when you delight yourself in the Lord, you're going to want the things that he wants. He's going to give you the desires of your heart. You'll see all this stuff happening. And so, so when you put up that shield, the shield of faith, it's going to be that proper shield that's going up. It's not going to have, again, the holes all through it. Now, what's kind of fun is that, again, that, that shield of faith is to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. We'll talk about those more next week when we get into those next verses in 2 Corinthians 10. The strongholds and, and such, and the thoughts being, bringing our thoughts into captivity. But note that many times in, um, in warfare, when they use the shields, they would actually douse their shields in water. They would, they would soak them and make them wet so that when the fiery darts hit them, they, a lot of times in the earlier days before the shields were actually made out of um, iron and, and metal, that they were made out of leather. And so if they were dried, then they actually would catch fire. So they would actually soak them so that when they held them up, they would quench the fiery darts. And 
that reminds me of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, and whatsoever he does shall, or, yeah, shall prosper. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. But his, he's planted by the rivers of water. And so the idea is that he's in God's word and in the spirit and, and that his, his roots are down deep. And so that even as the, the land becomes parched, that he's receiving nourishment from the river. And so the, that even though the rest of the, the, everything around it may be dying, that tree still is vibrant and fruitful because it's getting the, the, the source of nutrients from the water that's there. And so having that water on that shield. Anyways, so what's the object of your faith? What's, what's, what, what condition is your shield? That leads then into this helmet of salvation. Again, one of the quick ways um, in warfare to take care of um, your, the one that you're sparring with. And so, I mean, not to be gory, and, but again, you've got a picture in my mind, I'm thinking middle, medieval days. I'm thinking of the, the, the two armies coming together and, and clashing together with the, the, the war horses and the, and the soldiers and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that they would go for the head because if they could, you know, you got the shield that's there, but they got to leave the shield a little bit lower so that they can see. And so that left the, the head exposed. Well, then they started... They had these the helmets that were there in order to protect the head. And so I want to read some passages here regarding this concept of salvation. Titus chapter 2. In Titus 2 we read, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And so that's an interesting thing to think about. Do I really believe that God's grace that's bringing salvation is being, is appearing to all men? God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, God in some manner is, is sharing that grace with all men. One of the things, again, going back to the feet being, Shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, he wants to use us to be able to give that to them. Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You're not going to be saved, again, under Buddha, Muhammad, um, Joseph Smith, the Pope, any of these other things. There's, faith has to be in the plan of God. God worked that plan in and through Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ alone. And so there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. It is only in the name of Christ that we can be saved. If today you're here again, um, you've joined us and you are trusting in your works, trusting in some other form of religion, don't trust in me, don't trust in our our church don't trust in our religion. The goal is to point you to the one true God 
who created the heavens and the earth, who breathed into us the breath of life, who before he ever laid the foundations of the world, already knew that we would fall into sin and we would need a savior, and that he made the plan that he himself in his Godhead would come to the earth, Jesus Christ incarnate came to the earth and, and paid the penalty of our sins in order that we, through faith in the fact that he did that for us, might be saved and be brought back in, reconciled, brought back into a right relationship with God and have peace with God. That's the whole plan in a nutshell, how exciting it is. But the inception of our salvation then is in Christ alone. And so Romans 10, we read, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. People always have, in the Baptist realm, have made that with, and mouth confession is made of salvation, made that into a sinner's prayer. It has nothing to do with a sinner's prayer. It has everything to do with the fact that, again, if you really are saved, if you believe something in your heart, it's ultimately going to come out of your mouth. So I joke about the Steelers a lot and you know that the Steelers are the best team in, in, in football and yada, 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 because that's just with, with, that's what's within me. That's what I grew up in. And so, you know, I'm not going to stand here and say, yeah, I think the Cowboys are the greatest, you know, oh, I like the Cowboys, but I'm going to say the Steelers are the greatest. Well, the reality is if you know Jesus as your savior, you can't help but talk about him. It's going to come out of your mouth. You want other people to know about him who saved you and gave you peace with God. If you find the fact that you're embarrassed and ashamed to talk about the gospel and to talk about Jesus Christ, it really, if you need to think about whether you really believe in your heart or whether you're just believing in your mind, where you have an intellectual sense and say, oh, yeah, well, I, I know these things, and yes, I believe these things, or whether you honestly have committed your life to Jesus Christ. Have you given him your heart? Or have you just played a game? Again, before I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I went to church every Sunday. I knew who Jesus was. I believed in the Trinity. I knew about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I knew that Jesus had died on the cross. I knew that he was buried. I knew that he was raised on the, again on the third day. I could quote you the, the books of the Bible. I, I, could, I, I could tell you a lot of stuff about it, but I didn't know God. I didn't know him. Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There's a difference between intellectually knowing, oida being God, and gnoscoing God. Sadly, I think there are a lot of people in our land today who call themselves Christians, but if they were back in biblical days in the, the, the Church of Antioch, they were first called Christians there. They weren't called Christians by themselves. Other people called them Christians because they were acting like little Christs. They were following the teachings, the teachings of Jesus so such that everybody else around them they saw it. And they said, oh, they're a bunch of little Christs. And so I ask you, is that, is that you, and, you and me? I need to move on. The inception of our salvation is there. The duration of our salvation it is forever, eternally. 
you can read these passages, but we're told in Ephesians chapter one that that after you're saved, after you're really born again, that you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, and that He is the guarantee, the guarantee of the purchased possession unto the day of Christ. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Famine, pearl, pestilence, things above, things below, height, depth, it doesn't matter. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. You cannot lose your salvation. That moves then into the sword of the spirit, which is the, the word of God. Clearly, we know Hebrews chapter uh, 4, verse 12, it says, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is, it is able to dis, dis, uh, discern, I'm going to mess this up, so I'm going to read it. Um, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the, of the heart. The word of God is, is like that, it's a two-edged sword, two-edged, so not just one side sharpened and another side bluntened, but it, it cuts both ways. It's more like a scalpel, if you would, that it, it does things. And so in those passages of Revelation, we're told about Jesus, and out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. Why? Because when Jesus proclaimed, he proclaimed the, the word of God. And we see that in Matthew chapter 4, when he was tempted of Satan in the wilderness, every time Satan tempted him, Jesus responded with the word of God. It is recorded in the word. The word of God says, he always, Scripture states, this is how Jesus came back. Acts chapter 6, the, the apostles said, it's, it's not proper for us to leave the word of God in order to wait on tables. There was a lot of things going on and the church was growing and they were being overtasked. And that's when the deacons became an office um, because there was a need for the, the apostles, the elders, to stay in studying the word of God. The sword of the spirit then, we're told, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. But what I want to focus on here, that as that that's the sword of the spirit is the word of God, it still is the sword of the spirit. And so Jesus promised in these passages that are down there that it was profitable for us, for him to leave. Because if he left, he would send them the Holy Spirit. And the job of the Holy Spirit was going to be to remind us of his teachings, but also to convict the world of righteousness, judgment, and sin, and to lead us into all truth. And so he told the, the apostles, the disciples, he says, don't worry about in that day um, when they persecute you and when you're called upon to give an answer, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will put it in you. And so if you are spending time in God's word, if you're reading, studying, meditating upon it, memorizing it, the Holy Spirit will bring that and bring it out in you. Um, and so, First Peter 3, we'll talk about this more again next week. But kids, if you're here, you know, you're paying attention to Kids Club. That's our key verse, right? To sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and, and always be ready to give a defense, give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's within you. That we ought to be prepared, having the sword ready to be able to share. That's both, again, next week we'll talk about it defensively as we defend the truth of God's word. But it's also then um, offensive as well as we go forth with the, with the word of God and we give it to others, having, the feet, um, having our, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace.
Sorry about that. But we move into this final part that, I, again, we spent two weeks talking about. But I want to just, again, briefly bring up because we so many times the power of prayer is neglected when, when, the, when we talk about the, um, the armor of God. Um, but having done all these things, we're told, having put all these things on, we're supposed to pray. And we're supposed to pray. Look what it says in um, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication of spirit. The timing of prayer, we're told, to pray without ceasing. Paul tells Timothy that he prays for him night and day. We are supposed to be praying for one another unceasingly all the time with intensity of prayer. Colossians 4 says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Being earnest and being vigilant. So I want to ask you, we just came through a week of prayer. Did you spend time this week earnestly, vigilantly in prayer for one another, for our assembly? You can read these other passages, but Matthew 26, this is the, that's the portion where um, Jesus is in the garden. And he's, he's telling the disciples, watch, therefore, and pray, lest you fall into temptation. You know, we, we set aside a week for prayer and fasting. We're, we got social isolationism going on. So it's not like we got we're, everything's quarantined themselves. It's not like we had a whole lot of other things going on with our life. It's like I tell the guys when we go to Canada. When we went there, there was no cell phones, no nothing. We went up by a train in the early days. And then, and then when we got into the base camp, got on a boat, went 26 more miles upriver. There was nothing there, nothing, nothing. And my first message to the guys always was, if you can't find time for God here, it has nothing to do with your schedule. We like to blame our schedule. We get busy. But honestly, this week, you probably had a lot of time on your hands. How much time did you spend talking to God? Daniel was a man of prayer. He daily prayed he three times, right? Morning, noon, and evening prayer. Well, that's a kid's song, but it comes directly from the Word of God. Why was Daniel persecuted? Because he stood for God. He stood for truth. And everybody else understood it. And when they tried to find something to pin on him, they realized the only thing they could pin on him was that he prayed to his God three times. He was faithful. He was predictable. They knew what he would be doing, that he would be praying. And that's how they set him up. What about you and me? Are we people of prayer? Do people know that they can set us up by planning something against our God? Or do they, Satan doesn't even worry about us. There's no opposition in our lives because honestly, we don't stand for his word and we don't stand for um, his presence. And I, I, I say that humbly and not just to you, but to myself. We who are called by his name are called to take a stand for him. I want to bring something out real quickly here, how these um, lead into one another. If you have the truth of God placed in you, then it's going to lead you into this concept of righteousness, that you by yourself cannot save yourself. And you will then come to this point of understanding the need for um, 
your righteousness to be only in Christ alone. Once you realize that and you have this reconciliation with God, this peace with God, you're going to be excited about it. You're going to have your feet shod with this preparation of the gospel of peace, and you're going to want to share it with others. The, the message of the gospel is going to be right there for you. You're going to understand what it is and want to be able to share it with others. That's going to require you then to have this shield of faith, because by faith, you're going to have to go forth and to be able to, to share it with others in a hostile territory, but you're going to be willing to go forth into the hostile territory. You're going to put on that helmet of salvation and knowing knowing, being fully equipped, knowing that your salvation is in Christ alone, and that he, your head, is the one who's protecting your head, if you would, um, as you go forth. You're going to then seek to be able to be equipped and to be trained to know how to use the sword. Everyone who went into warfare, they would, they would then set themselves aside into these, these training times. They would, they would be able to learn better how to use the, the weapons of the warfare, to learn how to, to be a better swordsman. That's reading his word, memorizing it, learning verses to be able to, to use, to be able to um, quote to others. But you'll then realize that it all has to be bathed in prayer because it's his power that's going to cause the whole thing to be. It's not me. It's not my armor. It's not my ability to put things on. It's all about God. It's not about Bob. It's not about fill in the blank. It's all about him. So in the end, what condition is your armor in? If God was to call us into formation for inspection, and you military guys get this, how would he find us? How is your prayer life? Are you praying for others in the church on a regular basis? Finally, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you, Father, that before you ever laid the foundations of the world, you knew that we would have this need for salvation. So you made the way, you paved the path for us. And then you didn't just leave us alone, but you gave us the Holy Spirit to dwell us, Lord. And then you, you, shared with us this illustration of this armor that you want us to put on. And that in order that having done all, we might be able to stand, Lord. Sadly, many of us don't stand, and we'll talk about that next week. But Lord, we don't stand because we're not, we don't have your armor on. We're not focused on you. Lord, I, I, I just pray that you'd help me. Help me, Lord. Um, to do better at being faithful to going forth with your message uh, to those who need to hear it. Lord, to be more faithful in spending time in your presence, to be faithful to spending more time in your word, to having it hidden in my heart that I might be able to share it with others, that they might be able to learn the things that you want them to learn. Lord, I pray that you would be exalted in our time together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.